Kia ora, welcome back to Flying the Fern, powered by New Zealand Stories, Fernmark License Programme and produced by Raw Collective. This series is all about telling the real-life stories of well-known New Zealand businesses that carry the official Fernmark logo. We dig into how they came about, the challenges they've overcome, and their contribution to the reputation New Zealand businesses have around the world. Rod and Gun is a household name in New Zealand menswear, but most Kiwis won't fully appreciate the international success the company has had. Formed in 1946, with its first flagship store following more than 40 years later, it's gone on to open dozens of stores across New Zealand, Australia, North America and Europe. The company even has its own multinational range of restaurants alongside its clothing and accessories. More than anything, Rod and Gun is based around quality. They admit they're a little obsessed with it, but it's hard to argue with the results. Long-standing CEO Mike Beagley has been pivotal to the remarkable growth of the company, underpinned by what they describe as a quiet, dogged determination and unique Kiwi sensibility. But it hasn't been all plain sailing. Mike talks through the ups and downs and how showing sticking to your values can shape success in any market. Well, kia ora, good morning, Mike. Welcome. Morning. First question for you. If you were advising a visitor to New Zealand, someone who's just arrived on the must-do thing in New Zealand, what would it be? Go to the lodge bar down here. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all self-serving when they have specials on from five yeah. till seven. No, never, no specials, full price. <laughs> <laughs> Good, that, that, actually, hold that thought because that is a really good point. Now, you've been the CEO of uh, Rod and Gun for jeepers, 22 years, I heard. Yeah, it's a long time. That is a long time. How do you keep the motivation and the energy for this incredible brand? Well, my chief job is to come up with harebrained schemes and that keeps me motivated and keeps me going. So it's, you know, we're on the journey we've been on, it's just been, everything's been about trying to do things differently and yeah. do it our own way and not follow any set routine and yeah. make a trailblaze in our own little quiet way. That's right. And, and, and it's working because, um, you know, tell me about Rod and Gun though as a business. It's been around a very long time. Tell us the history of that of that organisation. It dates back to 1946. It was actually a shirt manufacturer called Litchfield Shirt Company in Christchurch who had the English Porter logo. Yeah. And then a guy called Gary Gwynn, advertising guy, put the logo and rod and gun together to create a brand back in the 80s. And so it's it's, it's slightly manufactured, but it's uh, now got a rich history really in its current form back to 87. Actually, the business started on Black Friday uh, oh, 1987. The October day of the 1987. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the day of the stock market crash. So it's always a good way to start. Oh, well, in some ways, that's, you know, if you're still around, you must be a pretty robust business and yeah. you've been through. So basically, um, Gary took it along, then he brought some private equity people in and then I got involved through Hellaby Holdings. I was uh, running one of their companies yeah. and they bought a share and, and the rest is history. Fantastic. And um, today, tell us about the company compared to what it would have started out. You know, it was shirts back then. Now you've got this very complex, well, you know, multi-dimensional business. Yeah, look at like everything. We overcomplicate things, but it's, that's makes the exciting part. Um, look, we when I first got involved, we had like eleven or twelve stores, and now we've got two hundred and eleven basically stores or concessions, shop shop fronts around the world. Uh, we've got four lodge bars in Australia and New Zealand. 15 websites of various, either our own or third-party sites that we work with. So that's, you know, it's sort of more multidimensional than it was back then because it didn't exist back then yeah. the way it is now. So. Yeah, but but the, the core market that you serve, you know, tell us about that person. Who is that person that's buying or experiencing your products or services? We have a, a core is 30 plus, but yeah. we do have 
some younger kids who jump into stuff and out of stuff and yeah. you know, all the big logo sweats that you, know, you see walk around town. And if you walk around Melbourne, streets of Melbourne in the laneways, you'll see our brand and that's not really who we are but we're happy to take their money. Yeah. Um, so our core customer is, you know, educated, uh, likes the finer things in life, appreciates quality, appreciates, um, you know, the journey that we're on and we're not a shout-out-loud brand. We're just, you know, keep to our, our knitting, keep to the way we do things yeah. and, and you know, just do things subtly. Just for the record, they're not knitted. Uh, well, maybe they are, but, they they, are. you know, well, they are. There you go. When you stick to your knitting, you're literally sticking <laughs> to your knitting. You dabbled in women's wear for a while, but you're not doing that Never so much dabbled anymore. in women's wear. My first, task, <laughs> it's an ugly my, rumor. My, my first task was to close women's down. Really? So I walked in the door and said, "This, you know, we've got a business that's really complex with small, yeah. and we've got women's wear, and it was just very hard. So it was a very easy decision. And I'm hated by lots of people for closing it down still 22 years later. Wow. I get, we get so many pe- women going, why don't you do women's wear? And my dogmatic nature says we're not doing it ever. Wow. I would imagine it's a very different market to be in, in terms of, you know, fashion trends and variety and sizes and all sorts of things. Oh, and just, yeah, just getting fit right is, yeah. a, is a whole new art form compared yeah. to men's wear. Men's is, is simple and men are simple. So. Yeah, we're simple things. <laughs> we don't really care what we look like. We've got to look nice, but, you know. There's people that really care and there's people that don't care. Which, but, which one do you think I am, by the way? Just looking yeah. at me right now. <laughs> but, <laughs> Good, okay. yeah, from, from, too politically to answer that question. Yeah. early and I haven't done a drink. Um, <laughs> no, it's simpler. It doesn't date so quickly. There's, it's evolution rather than revolution. Yeah. So it's easier to plan. It's You've got less risk with inventory and stuff yeah. like that. Nice. But, but your core business is still a very strong one, 211 stores you've now got, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so you're one of our biggest, most successful fashion brands out of New Zealand. Was that always the goal? Is that what was sort of set out to be? I've always had lofty goals, and but we don't talk about them. So it, yeah. it's very much an internal goal that I, I wanted to build a global brand, and I've never actually said that publicly. I've always said it internally, I want to be global, and that's the journey we're on, and we have no boundaries or parameters that say you can't do anything, so we can actually do anything we want to do. Yeah. Uh, we've got a fantastic company ownership structure and board, and, and they're very supportive of any harebrained scheme that I come up with, so... Seriously? Some of them good, some of them bad. <laughs> well, probably more bad than good. Well, and tell us about it. I mean, there were obviously some challenges along the way, you know, taking a New Zealand fashion label overseas. You know, tell us about some of those tougher times. Well, I went, I went to America owning 100% of the company and came back owning a lot less. So wow. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was a life-threatening, financial-threatening period where we went to the States, knew nothing. And it's the toughest market in the world without uh, a doubt, I'd say, from a competitive point of view in our sector. And went on that journey and learnt a lot in a short space of time at great expense. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and look, I knew I could have exited and kept my 100% ownership, but once you exit something, you never can go back there. And yeah. so it's this whole thing about I'd never give up and I'll never want to give up and I was happy to take less for more sort of yeah. thing, so a lower ownership position for a, a bigger, bigger future. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And, and you, you retain that presence in the US at the moment? Right, look, the US is going to be our biggest market by 2024. Wow. Yeah, it's... it's Phenomenal, and you know, this is not an ad for NZTE, but NZTE's help has got us along that way. So Fantastic. it's been amazing. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear. But I mean, as you say, you've got to sometimes strategically say 100% of a small pie, or do you want a smaller percentage of a much, much bigger pie? You know, make those kind of strategy choices. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's fantastic. Uh, but that's not the only kind of big, bold move you made because, you you, you know, you're a clothing brand, you're making amazing men's, uh, menswear, and then suddenly you go into the hospitality space. Like, tell us about that. 
hair brain scheme as you described. Well, retail was not hard enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, too easy. Uh, no, look, it was, it was actually a happenstance thing. So we had a, a fantastic store in Queenstown we still have. We've been yeah. there for 30 years on the lakefront and we had too much space and so I tried to sublease the space to Pog Mahone's Bar next door oh, and right. other people and no one was interested in it and uh, maybe I was asking too much rent, I don't know. Um, but I then thought, well, it can't be too hard to operate a bar and uh, so we went about Opening How a bar. many bars had you opened before then, by the way? Oh, zero. Okay, good. Right. But I spent a lot of time in bars, so <laughs> oh, that, I thought that was that how was I called research. Like, That's probably all now tax deductible. Well, actually. yeah, if I could find my receipts. <laughs> <laughs> and so that you know that branch into hospitality that must have been you know really interesting diversification. But the lodge bar and it's beautifully based around that kind of concept of the old hunting lodge, which fits in with the brand. Yeah. So the two things do complement each other, don't they? Well, yeah. They're, they're, and if you look at it. A customer is a customer, and if you take a customer-focused approach to any business, you're going to succeed. Yeah. And so we we treat the hospitality side very much like how we treat our retail side, and we don't see any differentiation as a customer choosing to buy, shop, whatever, yeah. in any way they want. And what I've really enjoyed is the dynamic between the two spaces and places. And unfortunately in Queenstown we weren't allowed to open the door between the two uh, locations, but we are in our other places. And just to see customers go in to have a drink and then buy a jacket and then yeah. come back in and the guy with them goes, I like that jacket, and they go and buy one. And then, <laughs> and then the other way around someone buys a, something in the store and then goes into the bar and has a drink and then yeah. stays for lunch or dinner or whatever. Yeah. And, yeah, it's it's a really unique Way. I mean, there's a lot of people doing it, but, it, you know, we're doing it all internally, so it's not – we don't outsource anything. So, you know, we've got New Zealand's only master sommelier as our wine and beverage manager. We've got New Zealand's arguably only Michelin star chef because he earned it himself, yep. um, Matt Lambert, and he uh, runs the whole menu program. So it's about getting the right people around you and yeah. having a go at it, and, yeah, it's exciting. I'd love to be a fly on the wall at the board meeting when you turn up and said, look, I know we're a clothing brand, but I want to hire a sommelier. Uh, someone to do look after our wine list, and they God, that's a, quite a big leap of faith that they took at that on that journey. It, it, the lack of questioning is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm good at cards or what I'm good at bluffing, but no, I w- you would believe how little pushback or how little questioning I got. In fact, one of our directors, it was going to go even suggested you should open a bar there. And I'm going, hey, how did you know I was about to talk about it? So there's an alignment there. <laughs> oh, which is that's pretty great. Cool. Yeah, and you 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 talk about also you know thinking about alignment and. The vision for the business, a sustainable business model is a big part of that. You know, how do you think about the the future of the business going forward? You've been here for 22 years and you've got to think about what the future looks like. Tell us about what that thought about sustainable business models does. You know, how does that play out for you? If you think about an exit and, you know, if every business thing is exit and what are you going to do and, you know, yeah. how are you going to make a lot of money, I don't look at exit at all. I don't, I don't want to exit. Um, my whole thing is about creating a legacy and not creating a financial windfall. Yeah. So you think about life in a totally different way. You think about how can I create a business that can keep on going beyond me that is something you can be proud of and yeah. that's a different mindset. And, you know, maybe behind the scenes, uh, you know, worrying about money, but I actually not. I'm actually, you know, thinking more about how do we – Build a business that's got this legacy that can be New Zealand's greatest export. You know, yeah. as as crazy as that sounds, Wonderful. or as egotistical as that sounds. But. No, sorry, it's it's ambitious. I think it's ambitious. Yeah. It's a great it's great ambition. I mean, a lot of New Zealand businesses, I think, sometimes think too small. They, you know, they don't back themselves like you. Clearly, you don't have a problem with uh, a lack of ambition by the sound of things. No, foolhardy. But also environmental sustainability. I mean, the the sort of the um, clothing trade gets you know looked at carefully in this area of environmental sustainability. But you you've done a bit of thinking around that too in, in your oh, business. About nine years ago, our creative director came to me and said, "Look, we need to be." 
play in this space a lot heavily. And I, I basically said, you're going to be crazy, you know, I'm not going to invest in that. And then about three months later, I go, I think he's right. And so we then created our own sustainability department and we've got, a, you know, three full-time employees. And they're, they're a bit like a political party within the, the party where yeah. they, they they can control everything. They can blackball anything because of the power they've got within the company. So, you know, we're on a journey. We don't talk about sustainability too much. It's because my view is that when you're never at 100% until you yeah. get to 100%, you shouldn't really talk about it. And our organisation is frustrated by that because we have spent a huge amount of time, effort, money, yeah. and on the resources that we use to create the product. So one of the great things is working with European mills and um, yarn suppliers. So we work very much in, in Europe and they're so paranoid about sustainability and environmental aspects yeah. of their production. So working with them has been a really big step ahead for us from yeah. that perspective. So, yeah, everything's about like knowing what damage you're doing all the way through the chain. Yeah. And, yeah, we're on a very a long journey but, um, yeah, still. Oh, good on you. Well, you're sort of leading the way but as you stay quietly because it is that thing about you've got to be um, humble because we're all on the journey and learning how a circular economy works and how we can have less impact. But at the same time, you know, you're making some really tangible steps. Yeah, and again, I don't feel comfortable shouting them from the rooftops about it because I don't think we're there yet, you know. Yeah. And it may, we may not ever get there. But if we, I think it's more about obligation. We have an obligation as a business to do the right thing rather than it be a marketing campaign. Yeah. It should be like internally we're doing the right thing so everyone understands the road we're on. Nice. And that's more important to me than, you know, external a lot of ways. It sort of talks to your values then as a company, you know, because the, clearly that's a value you have as, uh, you know, an organisation that do, doing the right thing or I'm, I'm probably putting words in your mouth. But do you have those sort of values that you that you think about that you hold dearly? Well, on, we have four key values, but honesty is one of them. Yeah. Um, and like, and a subtext there is we haven't got humility as uh, one of our values, but it's how we live. My father used to say to me, if you stick your head up over the parapet, someone's going to kick it. So <laughs> we keep our head down and keep below radar as much as we can uh, and just get on doing what we want to do and yeah. in our own way, you know. And that that's very much the New Zealand way as well, the New Zealand sort of psyche of um, quiet humility and yet success. So tell us a little bit about the kind of the New Zealandness and how you how you think about your, the, the brand of um, Rod and Gun and how that plays out. Well, it was America that really focused on it for me and it was – you know, the, the positivity about New Zealand with everyone you spoke to was overwhelming. And some people even, one customer in Denver asked me, oh, are you just off the coast of Africa? And like they have no idea, a lot of people, but they've got positive affirmations yes. about New Zealand. So that journey led us to go, it's, we're no longer rod and gun, we're rod and gun New Zealand. And so we we branded ourselves Rodden Gun New Zealand. So our first store in the US in Newport Beach, California is a massive sign and it says Rodden Gun New Zealand. And that was sort of a tipping point for us. Um, so then that became our DNA was we're using New Zealand as our muse. Yeah. And that really is, is part of us and who we are. And we don't shirk about talking about it, that's for sure. And and including flying the New Zealand fern mark, I think you've um, you fly that very proudly, the trademark of New Zealand. Well I think that legitimizes our New Zealanders. So it's a, a mark that, you know, is widely recognized and we we probably don't know realise how well it's recognised. And having that on our storefronts internationally, it, it says a lot to us as a brand and also again I think legitimizes our call out of New Zealand. Yeah. Do you find that the world has changed a little bit? In the, oh, it's changed a lot in the last few years. But that, does that New Zealandness have even more salience now, do you think, in the international markets? 
Absolutely. It, it, look, forget the tourism side of it, but the the positivity about New Zealand is just as strong as it's ever been. If you know, you could probably argue it's stronger than it's ever been. And you know, we're a long way away from everywhere and on the other side of the world. But everyone again has. I've never spoken to anyone that has a bad word to say about New Zealand. You yeah. know. Clearly, you're proud to be a Kiwi. Well, I'm actually not. Oh, you're not a Kiwi. You're not proud. <laughs> <laughs> you can take your pick. I, I was actually born in Australia, so oh. I, so I think I could argue the case. You know, well, so, even so, more legitimacy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I've been here 27, 28 years. So, oh, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll adopt you. I have there, a New Zealand wife, but she won't let me become a Kiwi. So she's sort of blackmailed me on that. Oh, front, really? So, yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, I think you're you're clearly. I mean, you're sort of culturally Kiwi by the feel of you. I think. Oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to be accepted. <laughs> nice. Now, what does the future hold for Rod and Gun? Where do you where do you see this business heading next? What hair brand schemes are you cooking up? Now it's just more countries, more countries, more countries, more countries. Yeah, so yeah. it's the international growth. We've just opened in Paris, in Galleries Lafayette and in Boulevard Houseman, which has been just an incredible, uh, it's like a boyhood dream. I used to walk through that store all the time going, oh, I'm, I'm never good enough to be in here, you know. Wow. And now we've got this amazing location, this an amazing space and one of the most amazing department stores in the world. Um, so it's it's replicating that. So they're loving us already, so they want to give us more locations all around France. We're opening in Belgium probably before Christmas with one concession in Brussels and then we've got three or four more early next year. And then other countries will come from it. So yeah. And, look, we really haven't tackled Asia yet and we've sort of done the reverse way of going around the world, yeah. starting in the US, in the UK, Europe, and then into uh, Asia ultimately. So it's just it's just opening up more countries and, and doing it our way. So we don't have distributors. We, we have one in Lebanon. It's a small business. Yeah. Um, but everything else is their own. So every every touch point you come across will be a rod and gun employee. Yeah. And uh, that, to me that's a really special thing. It slows you down on what you can do. If we just sign distributor agreements all around the world, we could accelerate it really quickly. But having this really strong touch point with our team and be part of the organisation is really, really cool. Yeah. We actually sent one of our longest serving managers to Paris for a month to teach the, well, not teach, but to ingrain the rod and gun culture really? into the, uh, the French people we've got working for us there. Do they appreciate that? Yeah, unbelievably, yeah. 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 It was interesting. When I was there, I was walking through with a guy who works for me in Paris and going like, somehow we need to get the rod and gun part of this into this from the start, yeah. and that was the idea. Let's get the most experienced person we can who has lived and breathed the brand for you know twenty something years over there. So she's she's enjoyed it and done a fantastic job. What, for would it, what, what did, how did that show up for the French? Like, what sort of thing are you telling them? Is it sort of friendliness and approachability and customer service ethic? What is it? All, all that, but also the DNA of the product, the DNA of the brand, the what our values are, what we stand for, and um, and just what our competitive edge is in a very tough. Dynamic market. I can imagine. And I heard a legend actually, or a story, I don't know if it's true, that uh, customer service, if people call and they have an issue, they can t- quite often get through to you. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, like we, we have a 24 hour day, seven day a week customer hotline all yeah. around the world. So basically, it starts in the morning here, then goes yeah. to Australia, then goes to the UK, then to the US and back around. And so I'm on all the email dialogue oh. that is a problem. So I see the problems and understand it. And like, you know, quality is our most important asset. And we don't, you know, talk about quality, but we have a two-year guarantee. And if something's not right, I need to know about it so I can um, raise sure? it. Raise it, And um, uh, all the development team, all the product development team know that I'm looking at it. So to them, it's a huge priority if I raise something. So That's wonderful. Um, and it, just for the record, uh, we've been together for, oh, I don't know, an hour and your phone hasn't rung once, so things are obviously okay. In the- you don't know how much vibration's happening <laughs> in my pocket. <laughs> I thought you were smiling a lot. Um, 
So it, it, I got two actually. <laughs> so the future seems bright for Rod and Gun. What advice would you give to a fledgling New Zealand business who's thinking about this big step of going out into the into the big bad world and exporting? What's your sort of key Persistence advice? pays, and and if you if you think that it's going to be easy. Well, don't even start. And I think you know, even going from here to Australia or from here to any other market is it's all the things you assume are always wrong. And you it's just, you know, you've got to go yeah. learning by doing. And it's the only way you're going to learn, but you, you can't just dabble and go. You have to, if you're going to do something, commit to it and just hang it in there and just make it work, you know. Brilliant. And it may, it may take a year. It may take 10, but it'll work if you're persistent. And if not, give Mike a call and he'll help you out. Oh, wait, 100. <laughs> Can't say that one. <laughs> yeah, oh, very good. Well, Mike, thank you very much for flying the fern for New Zealand and telling us the story of Rod and Gun. My pleasure. And thanks for inviting me. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast series is all about highlighting the amazing work New Zealand companies are doing in a variety of sectors and spaces. If you like this episode, there's plenty more great stories from Flying the Firm podcast that you can listen to. Just go ahead and check them out where you found this one. We're also highlighting the Fernmark license program, which we talked about during the episode. The Fernmark is our national symbol and a country of origin mark that helps Kiwi businesses promote trust, authenticity and credibility by leveraging the good reputation that New Zealand has overseas. To find out more or to apply to be part of the program, head to our website, fernmark.nzstory.gov.nz. And lastly, please rate, review and subscribe. It helps others find us. Hide it for now.